0: I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Mr. Chair opens a new chapter with the release of Better Days, an album full of optimism, joy, and of course, as Mark Hetzler puts it, lots of notes. Mark joins me on this episode to talk about this collective, collaborative band and his career as a trombone professor. My guest today is Mark Hetzler. Uh, he's the trombonist with the band Mr. Chair, uh, who are releasing their new album Better Days on October 21st. Mark, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, first of all, Mr. Chair, what a great whimsical name for a band. Where did it come from?
1: Well, it started out as a placeholder, like most, uh, most things, um, and it stuck because we ended up using it on our first show, um, it's actually, um, well, it's basically, it comes from Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts of all places. Our bass player, Ben Ferris was uh, driving into, I think a rehearsal. We had about a million names bouncing around and, uh, he was listening to, um, I think it was on NPR. They were bas- basically uh, rebroadcasting portions of a Senate finance committee hearing in which um, the committee was basically excoriating um, the CEO of Wells Fargo, which if you remember about six years or so back, they were uh, involved in all that uh, unfair uh, lending practice. And uh, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Warren, was going absolutely crazy tearing the CEO to pieces. (laughs) And like in a lot of these Senate committee meetings, they referred to the chairperson, the chairman or the chairwoman as Mr. or Mrs. Chair. Uh, or chairman or Mr. Chairman, but it usually gets shortened. And in this particular audio clip, Elizabeth Warren had stated it over and over and over and over, and it became so disembodied, this idea of Mr. Chair. And uh, we kind of laughed about it, and it was a placeholder, and then, boom, it stuck.
0: That's hilarious. It's great. Would it be fair to say that even though you are all very serious about what you do, that you don't take yourselves too seriously?
1: Absolutely. I think mostly we hold each other in check, but also, I mean, you know, the music world, it's, um, it's basically, we're lucky to be playing music, concertizing, collaborating, doing all the stuff we do. We definitely don't take any of that for granted. And, um, you know, part of that comes with, uh, just the, the hilarious comedy of life, uh, whether it's trying to put together a tour or navigating an album or just collaborating on whatever. So, um, yeah, I think we're incredibly serious about the art form and the level of musicianship, but there's also gotta be this fun spirit that, that rides right through everything we do.
0: One thing that strikes me right away about this band is that it's a band of local musicians. Um, others, the others in the band, they're maybe a little younger than you. You're probably the senior member anyway. Um, Other musicians in your position, and we'll talk about what that position is in a minute, but they might choose to play sporadically with session players in New York or whatever or wherever, or employ ringers in more of a high-profile way, but this is a band that rehearses, continuously works on new material, does some touring, but also plays locally. Is Mr. Chair your band? Is it more of a collective? What's the scoop with Mr. Chair?
1: It's a 100% collective. Um, as a matter of fact, Mike, Mike Koshevsky, our drummer, and Ben Ferris, our bass player, had a gig at Alchemy years ago. And they reached out to me and said, hey, um, we were just wondering, would you want to join us on a trio gig? And we actually played. And we played a variety of things, all kinds of cool old school hip jazz tunes and a Beyonce cover. And um, at that show was the keyboardist, Jason Kutz, he came to the show and then, um, you know, while it was incredibly enjoyable, um, I certainly didn't feel like I had the chops to pull off a trio without a keyboard. And those guys were like, yeah, let's keep going with this, but let's add a keyboard. And Jason seemed like the obvious best fit. Um, I'm definitely not the the leader of this band. I'm the horn player. I usually get the melody here and there, but um, I'm certainly not the leader. It's a complete democracy and uh, just to make the record clear i'm 20 plus years older than these guys um going back to what you said i yeah i was in all kinds of groups i i, I spent a lot of time on the east coast mostly in the classical world um but what i'm doing with this these three gentlemen is for me just uh, musical fulfillment it's like a dream come true um you know i'm i, I guess i'm the elder statesman in some topics but There's a lot of things that I learned from them, a lot of catching up I do because of them. So uh, yeah, they keep me on my toes.
0: You talked about like doing a trio gig, trombone, bass, and drums. I had the opportunity to play with Joel Adams years ago when he was in town. And uh, we were trying to set up a trio date, actually a quartet date or something at the Orpheum or something, and couldn't find a piano player or whatever. And he's like, I'm not Ray Anderson, man. I knew you would appreciate that reference. Yeah.
1: Or, or Ray Anderson or Albert Mangelsdorf, you know, someone who could just like play with uh two, two, like bass and drums and just pull it off. So, I mean, I'd give it a shot, but yeah, having Jason in, at uh, well, it adds so much, of course.
0: And he's a, he's a genius too. I mean, I had him sub on a, a show I did very recently, like called him up the night before, like some disaster befell the keyboardist who was supposed to play. And he like ch- took a look at the charts overnight, showed up at the gig, no rehearsal. And he just read down everything so brilliantly and added his own flair to it. So he's a great person to have in the band.
1: Absolutely, agreed hundred percent.
0: The second thing I want to say about Mr. Chair is how impressive I find that you're able to do such rich and meaningful collaborations with local musicians, singers, spoken word artists, reaching out in ways that are welcoming and relevant to what we're experiencing culturally today. Can you tell us about a couple of your favorite collaborations?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, right now, currently, we're working with DeQuadre James White. He's, um, from, he's a native of Atlanta, Georgia. He came to UW-Madison um, as a scholar in the First Wave program. Graduated, uh, I guess, a year and a half back and now he's back in atlanta but he um he caught our eye because we i wrote a ballad and we were talking about like ah oh, this would be so cool if it was just not an instrumental and you know we we had done a bit of work with some singers but we we were looking for a way to like incorporate from the ground up on a certain song and de quadre um was someone that mike knew about i guess he had read, read he had read a recent article i think in tone actually Uh, about some event that De Quadre was a part of. So he was a student and um, I thought, oh, I'm on campus all the time, I'll reach out to him. And it was this really cool thing. Like initially it was like, well, here's this professor reaching out to an undergrad, Uh, but immediately it turned into this collaborative experience where he was hearing what we were doing and we got the words back uh, for this song. And it was like, wow. I mean, uh, a young man wise beyond his years an artist that has such passion. And what what a beautiful image, uh, vision of the world and where it's at and what he can do to help so many people. So he's been artistically and musically an incredible person to collaborate with. But as a person, to associate yourself with someone who has these really inspiring views of how he can navigate the world and how he can bring people up around him. So we're working on um that was a single tune on our first album, and then he called us about a year and a half ago and said, I've got this idea, it's in my head. Can you guys help me realize it? And it's an entire album. It's 15 songs. Um it it seems like this flow of one story. He created this character called Spectaculous, who's this intergalactic traveler who happens upon the earth and gets caught up in the the you know the, the human experience. And song to song to song, it goes into a billion different directions. We've been having a blast putting it together. We're we're currently tracking it. It's going to involve obviously him and a couple of his colleagues who are also amazing singers who also came out of the first wave, but also string players, woodwind players. Uh, At one point, there's a Southern marching band tune where we've got sousaphone and trombones and percussion. And um, there's like a country Western song. There's um, I mean, it, everything from like a solo piano track to like a massive symphony orchestra. And so for us, like it's pushed our boundaries as composers, orchestrators, um, you know, working in Ableton as well as Pro Tools, uh, producing songs from these all these different vantage points. And so, yeah, I would say Quadre has been an incredible person to collaborate with. And then, of course, we go. We go way outside of music. We've had this ongoing relationship with Dr. Stephen Myers on the UW-Madison campus. He's a professor of geoscience. He started something called the Tadada, like Tadada. Um, It's it's basically a a fusion of art and music and science. And we've become his house band each spring semester. We show up for a couple of his lectures. We perform live music and we, we essentially encapsulate whatever scientific concept he's creating. And we sort of push it through the lens of music. Uh, And then we have all kinds of other ones. Like um, right now, a special reason to go to our October 21st record release show is we will have our second brewed beer from Giant Jones Brewery. Jessica um, is making us right now as we speak, uh, another beer, and we're going to by the tap, by the keg, it'll be right there at the Baroque, um, free to all who would like to enjoy it. Um, and you know, these are the kinds of things that I think keep us spinning. Um, you know, it's never just like straight up. Oh, let's go play a show. It's it's always like, well, what can we do to make make it sort of fall in a different way or throw it on its head? You know, from dressing up in some shows to inviting you know illustrators and artists and dancers and just all kinds of collaborators. Oh, can I add one more? Please do. Um, we've been working with this guitarist, um, Jose Guzman, and he is based in Chicago. We met him at a, a music festival a couple years back, and um, he's essentially our fifth member at this point. I've always wanted to have like a another horn voice in the mix, and uh, I, I've always loved jazz guitar. And uh, Jose plays just otherworldly music and he can do pretty much any style. He's a beautiful person to hang with. And so he's going to be at the show. Um, We've been playing more gigs as a quintet, which I think, wow, it really rounds us out and creates an even denser, richer sound. And then um, guests on the album, I should mention, um, of course, Buzz Kemper, Um, you know, he owns uh, a co-owner of Audio for the Arts and he's worked a lot with us over the years. He actually is um, reciting an original poem that he wrote on one of the pieces. And then we had this like, you know, long shot. We threw out a a line to this incredible saxophone player, musician, Eddie Barbash. Eddie was a member of um, John Petit's group when um, he was actually on the Stephen Colbert late night show. And then he's gone on to do a a ton of other incredible things Uh, working recently with Syria Hall and Corey Wong. And um, so he's actually featured on two tracks on the album, a ballad. And an up-tempo tune that Jason wrote. And they're, I mean, whoa, he just lights it up. He's just like, just flowing, just notes flowing out of his horn. So all kinds of really, just the, the types of collaborations that, that make you lift up and, and just push, push your game even more.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there more you can tell us about the new record, Better Days? It was two years in the making. How and when did you record it? And tell us about the interesting way that you're rolling it out.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, it's been a long-term project. It got its start in the pandemic. We were hunkered down individually in different parts and we were trying to figure out ways that we could continue to work together like a lot of bands. Um, That meant a lot of us were writing. Uh, We all contributed compositions to the album. And the project, I think, started out As um, we all brought all of our new tunes, and when we eventually were able to have this kind of first concert back, we were invited by the Union Theater here at UW-Madison to perform on a series in which they would actually pre-record the concert and then broadcast it. So it was a live show, but not in front of an audience. It was a live show that they taped, and then they would send out to their audience members, you know, pandemic-related distancing. So we got all that music written and then we played it and then we decided, well, okay, let's go in and record it. And then we went out and started touring live, um, two summers ago and that really blew it open and breathed some life into it and gave us the different perspective on all that music. So we literally took every single track from the first sessions and just dumped it and started over and re-recorded it. Um, that actually meant a lot of things, um, expanded ca- concepts, in c- some cases, faster tempos, in other cases, slower, more patient tempos. Um, it, it allowed us to flesh things out in a more meaningful way. And then, it, uh, of course, it got us to bring some guests along. Um, the title Better Days is, con- is from the title track. That's a song that I wrote um, in, in utter sadness. We lost our 13-year-old dog, Jack. And, um, you know, as most people, when you lose the loved one, it just crushed me. And after about two weeks of just being tired of moping around the house, I decided just go into the studio and try to write the happiest song you can write, which I tend to write more like long form, heady, intense, kind of overly serious pieces. And this was like this upbeat dance, like feel and major key. And just, and when it popped out, it was like, whoa! this feels like kind of like, some of the newer kinds of ways that we as a group were approaching music. Um, and that kind of kicked it off. Um, we've got definitely some serious, complicated music on it, but we also have some, have some light uplifting and just what I would consider to be like freer, happier, um, not taking ourselves so seriously, but also like incredible technical virtuosity, lots of notes, lots of complicated um structures and, and um, real fly by the seat of your pants playing. Um, but it, yeah, it was a lot of fun. As far as the rollout, um, I don't know, like a lot of bands, you start to think about how your music can get to ears. And we just thought, well, like, let's be patient with this. Um, we're going to do a record release show on October 21st at Oak. We decided we're going to make it a limited release. You can only get this music if you show up at the Oak. It'll be uh, 150 CD recordings. Uh, I know some people don't use CDs, but they will all have digital downloads. Um, so you can always listen on whatever device you have. But the idea is that we're going to try to un- like roll it out in a variety of, di- of different ways. We have a few videos that we're making to sort of kind of be a little, little sort of musical gifts in the coming months. And um, yeah, just looking at other possibilities of perhaps a label, perhaps vinyl, um, you know, obviously touring it would give us more reason to, to, um, produce either, either vinyl or more CDs or some kind of a, you know, a production. But yeah, the idea was like, we're also working on this album with the Quadre, which is called Spectaculous. And we thought, all right, let's just see if we can kind of stretch things forward. And as usual with us, hopefully they will evolve in some positive way. Mm -hmm.
0: And tell us who did the cover.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a great one. So I think having your dog on the front cover of an album is something that I definitely would probably guard against. Um, you know, I'm not going to judge someone who does that, but it's, it's like, oh, it's your pet, you know. But Ben, our bass player, uh, said, because um, the song is about my dog, Better Days, and we decided it's oh, a positive um, title for an album. He said, I think we should have a picture of Jack and i was like "Ah, i don't know about that but then um, de quadre in addition to being you know a poet and a singer and and, um just a a social activist who engages he's a really good artist really awesome talented artist and a painter and i sent him a series of photos uh, photographs from my phone and i'll be dang he came up with the most happy and spirited and like you see this picture it's a painting and you see it you're just like oh my god it just lifts and i think in terms of album art it's it's striking the colors in it the 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 look in jack's eye the feel of it you just get this sense of like whoa what is that if you were to see if i were to see that in a record store on an album cover it would definitely pop out so it's an original painting um And that's what's featured. And it, it has just, I think, a, again, a lightness, a hopefulness, a joyfulness that, that we're all, I think, is this new chapter of Mr. Chair.
0: It's also, I think, vanishingly rare to see analog art used for the cover of albums these days. And it's really cool to see when it, when it is used in that way, it really pops to me. And I, I definitely pay more attention to something like that than I would to... I mean, digital art is great. There's a lot of interesting things you can do with digital art, but analog art, there's something really special about that.
1: I completely agree. And when you look at it, you can definitely tell it's a painting.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now in regard to your career outside of Mr. Chair, um, it's hard to know where to start. You're a professor of trombone at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, sort of the flagship university of the state, and you're a recording artist with a score of releases across multiple genres. And you're a dynamic teacher in demand for master classes and other events around the country. And you commission works to push the envelope of contemporary repertoire. And you're expert in the seamless incorporation of electronics into your playing. You seem to have limitless enthusiasm in every direction all at once.
1: <laughs> I think yeah, I mean, I always go back to this, you know, when you're teaching a class or a clinic, it's like if you can say you love what you do and you do what you love, boy, aren't you lucky? It's, um, it's definitely – it's been a fun ride. Um, I think it goes back to something that my, mo- my mother used to always uh, remind me of. It's like she gave me this plaque a couple years ago, and it says never, ever, 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 ever give up. And I think I've been an example of working hard – not giving up. See where that gets you. Not that others don't work hard, but what what I'm gonna say that I didn't necessarily have early on was maybe the 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 talent or the incredible like skill early on. You know, I'm 54. I feel like I'm still learning. I'm still progressing. My practice is making me better. It's making me figure things out as a as not only a, a technician but also as a musician. And yeah, early on, it was like the enthusiasm for music came from so many different styles of music. And just as I went forward, it always seemed like challenges, obstacles, dead ends. They all, instead of like stopping me, they kind of forced me to find a new path forward. I mean, I wanted to be in an orchestra. That was my whole thing. Symphony orchestra, right. And and I did a lot of that. and And it's fun but it it also as i was doing it or trying to do it you know you, you aim for like the big leagues right You aim for like the top tier orchestras and you know i got you know i was in the probably in the um somewhere in the minors like working my way up but um as you get into it you start to like look around and you start i at least i started seeing musicians doing things that that floored me you know musicians who can't read music musicians who playing in like teeny little rooms and then you're just like sometimes going to shows and walking home and just being utterly intimidated and scared by what i just witnessed and and realizing like oh my eyes need to open more my ears need to open more and i think that's what drives it for me Um, the technology side is pretty much my love for rock and watching rock musicians use technology and then wondering if i could somehow engage in that music on a trombone and then teaching teaching for me is like probably one of the best ways to get better at what you do if you have to explain it or if you have to figure out a way to get a student to not only understand it but actually put it to use and then like have them grow and and progress you know not only is that really satisfying but it's it's a challenge It's, it's it's incredibly difficult and when you start doing it um successfully, I think it really leads to pushing you even more, you know? On any given day, I might have a student, I have students that will, they'll play better than me. In a lesson, someone will peel something off and I'm like, whoa, all right, I gotta go and practice. So next week I can, you know, put it to this person and show them like, oh, you see, I still got it. But, and you know, that's maybe not a healthy thing. I don't, that doesn't drive me, but teaching puts you um, on the spot and it forces you to figure things out and show show students how they can figure it out too so i don't know i'm rambling at this point <laughs>
0: it's all good well mark hetzler it's great to see you again thank you so much for stopping by the showbiz roundup today um have a great show on the 21st and uh thanks again
1: michael thank you so much i was so humbled when you reached out and uh you interested in not only myself but especially our band and our album that means a lot to us so we're all happy for that thank you so much
0: That's it for this edition of the Showbiz Roundup. Our theme music is performed by Outside the Sphere, an experimental duo consisting of Tony Barba and myself. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Bluestem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletakebuzz.com. Catch you later.